Good day and welcome to the Frontline Chatter Podcast. My name is Jarian Gibson with co-host Andrew Morgan. How are you doing today, Andy? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. I'm really excited to record a podcast in 2017. We've been quiet for quite some time and we have a super guest ahead of us. How are you today, Jay? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, excited to get back and uh, to getting some episodes, new episodes out and sharing more with the, the community and our listeners. So without further ado, uh, let, let's get started. So today we have the pleasure of uh, Pat Lee, uh, VP of VMware's uh, uh, End User Computing Story. Uh, Pat, uh, great to have you here today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me today, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, so we've known you for quite some time. You've been you've been very um, you've been very present in the in the UC community around the VMware Horizon story. I mean, you, you've had you know I looked over your LinkedIn. You know, twenty years experience in product management to QA. You've had a, a hell of a career. I mean, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so uh, let's see. I got my start many years ago, fresh out of college, trying to figure out what to do with a physics degree, and. Um, I liked I liked computers more than I liked actually doing physics, so I ended up uh, getting work for a small software company uh, doing software testing uh, and learning, you know, about what computer software was at the time and how it was shipped. And um, over time, I just kept uh, going to other. I went to other company and learned more about from the customer side and learned more about how products were built and learned that really, did, you know, how to become passionate about what's required to make a successful product. So I transitioned into product management and. Uh, over time, help build products like uh, for people who've been around a while. Uh, the MacStore One Touch hard drive it had integrated backup in it. It was one of the first easy backup solutions for consumers. You just hook up your hard drive, press a button, it worked. Um, I worked with MacStore from the software side to help deliver that. Um, so I've really been always focused on delivering something that's used by broad end users. Um, and I came to VMware about ten years ago now, um, and I came to VMware uh, looking at how. They were looking at trying to create a product in the Mac space, the product now known as VMware Fusion. At the time, it was an advanced development project. So I sort of came into VMware then and sort of figured out them how to help them productize that and get it to market. And from there, I've moved on within VMware to do a whole bunch of different things and moved into the enterprise desktop side about five years ago, starting with the clients and now <clears throat> owning all the protocols, devices, clients, um, you know, as well as our DAS offering with Horizon Air and Horizon Cloud. Wow, that that that's some that is some life cycle all the way from hardware enabled software all the way up to VMware and, and through the diffusion days. That's that that's amazing. Um, I still remember the first time I saw VMware. It was running a I think it was running on Windows ninety eight or Windows two thousand. Then it had a copy of Windows ninety eight virtual machine or a virtual machine running Windows ninety eight. I remember looking at this going, this is a very cool toy, but what am I going to do with it? And now look at them. They have, <laughs> they've taken over the data center. Well and truly, it's a it's an incredible story. Um, but I mean, you've obviously been in the you see side of the house um, for for you know since day one. Uh, you know, from a community point of view, I suppose you know Horizon and View have, have been there. But I mean, in the last eighteen to twenty four months, they have been right up there at the front. You know, I mean, how how have you seen that AUC evolve? And you know, how have you seen the ramp up? So I mean, you know, when we got into the space, when we actually um, customers brought us into VDI. Um, one of the big financials wanted to solve the problem, and they were uh, using vSphere on the back end, and they wanted to represent some desktops. So we worked. they worked with our professional services organization to help come up with a, a set of scripts to create a, a little broker at the time that sort of got our tires – got our kicking the tires on what virtual desktops would become. 
Um, and based upon the success they were seeing, we um, decided, you know, we really need to go. This is an interesting market. We need to go there. Um, and then we ended up buying Propero at the time, which is the foundation for the uh, now Horizon Broker. Um, and from there, we just kept looking at how we evolved the virtual desktop story. And I think you're right. In the last 36 months, um, we had a foundation in place. Um that was good, but we really needed to really scale it to be more successful in the market. And we really focused on some really key areas. One, how do we really deliver that end-user PC experience to as many users as possible? I think early on when you saw VDI, um, it was a great solution, tactical solution, when security was required and compliance and call centers were required. But it didn't really give you all the things you expected from a user experience from like you know seamless webcam use – seamless local storage access, seamless printing, all those things have to come into play so you can really provide that native PC experience remotely. And so we really made a big focus on how can we expand our client story, how can we expand all the things that are required to deliver that rich user experience. And then, and then we had, you know, we focused on how we really need to figure out it's more than just virtual desktops. We came at it from a very virtualization focused angle, right? That's what we that was our DNA. But, you know, more and more customers are saying it's about the apps. It's about the apps. So, you know, we made a big investment in with Horizon 6, introducing Horizon apps with RDSH when we came into the market. And while there's virtualization under that a bit, it really is a different type of focus than a virtual machine focus. It's focused on sessions and delivery there. So, you know, we made an early effort there about two years ago. And over the last two years, you'll notice every quarter we've been – We've been every quarter knocking off sort of those user experience requirements to deliver a great app experience. And if you look at today, you know, all the users you ex- – all the things you expect a user to be able to use with a virtual app or virtual desktop are now supported across our clients. And it's just been focusing on this really quarterly cadence to really focus on customer value and custom delivery. I, I hear your point there you made about the um, about the roadmap, particularly around RDSH in the last couple of months. I think I wrote a blog about this time last year. Um, t- topic topic irrelevant, but it, it kind of it made a statement that you guys were taking a machete to the um, to the feature parity gaps potentially between you and competitors. And it, it's it is very very true. I mean, even in the last release cycle, it's uh, it's getting stronger and stronger, and it's a great focus to see. Yeah, I must say that no, you thanks. guys are you guys are being fast and furious with with that. You know. Like, like Andy said, closing the feature gap, but also adding new features as well. So it, it's been very impressive how you guys have, you know, evolved um, the UC platform, you know, in these last few months, even last year, year and a half. No, thanks. It's been it's really been really trying to have a maniacal focus on how do we solve customer problems and give them a better experience. And you know, it helps that we're in a competitive landscape. Um, that gives us some mile, some goalposts to go towards. But at the same time, we've also done a lot of innovation. You look at things like just-in-time desktops with instant clones. It's a an amazing set of technology leveraging the core platform that VMware brings with the innovation we can bring on the EUC side to really simplify cloning and divide and release. So it's not just delivering features that are in the market, but it's also innovating and, and moving forward and doing things that make the IT guys' job simpler and allow us to deliver a better experience from the back end and as well as the front end. I hear you. It's uh, it, and it's great to see. You know, I mean, obviously, it's a very late congratulations. Now you've been in the role nearly a year now, but I mean, you you went from kind of product management, remote experience, and you're now VP of product management, uh, cloud and uh, apps and desktops. So congratulations on that. Um, what what new challenges has that brought to your to your desk? Well, I mean, I think it's interesting. I, I, so you know, 
I look at so remote experience is really the the thing that the customers interact with, you know, the clients, the devices, the protocols, which is always great to be able to impact millions of users that way. But by taking on the role with the cloud apps and desktops, I've been focusing on, on the Horizon Air service. And how do we deliver a great DAS and apps as a platform service? And um, we're really uh, we made an, we made an investment in this space a few years back by buying Destone, the leading DAS uh, broker at the time, and you know leveraging that foundation to figure out what are the problems we need to solve, and then build a service based upon that, upon those assets and the assets that we already had from a remote experience side. Um, the challenges are, you know, as we go to the cloud, I mean, there's a lot of different expectations. For the cloud, you don't want to own the infrastructure. So there are different limitations and things we have to keep in mind because the customers don't want to play with the infrastructure and have access to it. So we have to make it simpler to troubleshoot, more automatable. We have to make those problems go away for them so they can just focus on what they care about, which is the desktop delivery and not the infrastructure setup and design. And so, you know, we're, we're making great strides there. Um, we're seeing great demands, and we've seen some interesting larger customers start moving to desktop as a service. Sprint's a great example. We talked about them at VMworld. I mean, you know, they have over 2,500 desktops in the cloud today, which is amazing to see. That is, and, that uh, is massive. <laughs> and, and, and it's exciting to see, you know, their, their, their excitement at using the cloud to do this. And, uh, they're just the beginning. I mean, we're going to see a lot more. Um, and uh, our goal with the Horizon Air uh, platform is really how do we how do we drive a better experience to the end user and to the IT admin to deliver what they expect from the cloud, but that rich user experience you get from all of our investments in road experience at VMware. Like no other – if I look at other DAS provide, large DAS providers, they don't have the same – level of feature set from the end user side that we do with Horizon Air and how do we get that message out there to make it easy to those users to see? Yeah, no, it's great to see. I mean, my next question is really around your um, your, your your background. I mean, you, you started off in, as you said, kind of end user um, technologies uh, and that was your, your pre- previous role with, with the remote experience. Um, my my, my my, my realization of how serious you guys were with, with Horizon was when I, I first tried your, your iOS app on, on an iPhone 5. Um, trying to run a desktop on an iPhone was a complete nightmare. You didn't want to be there for any great length of time. And um, it, was, it, was, it was tricky and, fu- or, and you know, fuddly to get around the, um, the, the desktop at, at that kind of resolution. But when I tried the Horizon client on an iPhone, it was incredible. The, the, the redirected start menu so you could easily browse through the file system and the start menu. The, the fly out little uh, circular button that you could get a quick access to the buttons that you need to get around the desktop. It made it infinitely easier. I think you left everybody way behind when that one came out. Um, you know, how, how, did you t- how did you nail that, that use case? Uh, how did you come to, to write such a brilliant lap? Well, I'll tell you, it took some time. I mean, it, it wasn't day one. Um, it, we, 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 we got to market, we came out with an iPad app originally, and we got the basics right. But um, over time, we started looking at the use case, like you said, especially as you wanted to look at a thing on... Windows 7 is not the most touch-friendly OS. So <laughs> how do least. Solve, how, but on an iPad, you expect it to be. On an iPhone, you expect it to be. So how can we help solve the problems of like touching in really small targets and do these things? And so some of our advanced development team at the time had this idea, like what can we do to really overlay some touch into the experience, like bringing more native influence? And one, my big goal with our clients is that 
I don't want a one-size-fits-all UI. I want to figure out <clears throat> what's the best experience that we can provide that's OS-specific. Like, I don't want the same toolbar on the Mac that I have on Windows because the Mac has a very clear idea of how you do toolbars. On iOS, you want to plug in and you want it to feel very native and feel very at home in the platform. And so when we came out um, with Unity Touch, which was the feature you're talking about with the ability to make it easy to go and get access to all your files, what we looked at is like, how can we bring the start menu and easy access to that into something that's swipeable, touchable, instantly responsive? And so by doing that and by focusing on that, we could deliver a, you know, the rich start menu, you can swipe over like you can do with a sidebar hamburger menu you expect in most apps. You can do live searches. You can do voice searches. You know, you can pin things to the right location and really make it easier to navigate. And especially on the iPhone, you bring up the iPhone case. The important thing we were thinking about the iPhone implementation was it's not an eight-hour app. It's an eight-minute app. You want it on the iPhone because, okay, I'm a doctor. I'm at dinner. I've got to go look at a chart. I'm an IT guy. I've got a problem. I've got to go look at a server. You don't think about how you're going to sit on an iPhone and use it all day. You think about, okay, I've got a tactical problem I need to solve now. So how can we make it easy to get in there and get out as quickly as you can to solve that eight-minute problem? Because it's not an eight-hour client like a Windows client or a Mac client or a Linux client. It's truly a quick, targeted, need to use it to get access to solve a problem now. And that's the approach we took. And that's exactly what I used it for as well. I needed to run a script. I was sitting at home on the couch watching television. I brought up the app. I opened it. And lo and behold, I was very easily able to get down to my scripts to turn my server on when I needed to. It was, um, it, you, I thought you guys really nailed it with that one. And um, it was a, it's a pleasure to use on such a small little format. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm really excited. I, I, that, 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 that client holds a soft spot in my heart. Um, we did, I, I spent a lot of effort helping redesign that and make that come to market. So I'm very happy. So thank you. So uh, kind of switching gears here to uh, talking about protocols, um, Blast Extreme. So, you know, it had a huge push and came out of nowhere. Um, what does Blast Extreme bring to the Horizon stack? So we, we, we thought about Blast Extreme. Our, our really goal was to look at how things were changing. Um, most display protocols that we've been working with and going against have been really designed for the LAN and designed for a well-secured corporate network. Sure, there's some remote access that happens with it, but a lot of it's really designed around LAN delivery, network on-prem delivery. As we looked at how things were changing, desktops as a service is becoming more viable, so public internet is coming into play, right? A lot more public internet usage is happening to connect to desktops. Um, a lot more mobility. You bring up iOS, there's Android. How do we give you a good experience for cases where, like, I need to work on a laptop in a coffee shop for hours at a time where battery life matters, right? So from a codec perspective, what can we do to maximize the battery life of the client so you could work mo with mobility? So when we looked at it, we, we, we really came at Blast Extreme. It was like we really want to focus on how do we focus in the world where the world's changing to more you know, uh, mobile, public internet, wireless delivery? And with more portable devices where battery life matters. So we sat down and said, if we can leverage things like industry standard codecs like H.264, which every device you have today in your house, even some refrigerators have an H.264 decoder in them, we can do hardware offloads. So we can get maximum battery life. A good example is when we started, we, got it, we were getting close to the end of implementing uh, Blast Extreme for release last year. You know, we were doing some battery life tests on the iPad comparing you know, what we had to what we're going to go to. 
and we were able to get we were able to actually have a ten hour desktop session on an iPad using Blast Extreme because we're leveraging hardware. So we're able to actually give similar like you could watch ten hours of movies to Netflix. We could actually deliver a ten hour desktop experience with the iPad. Which, you know, really, those type of things, it really brings a whole new level into what you can do when you look at mobility. But then also the thing about Blast Extreme when we actually went down this path was that our goal was we know when we actually came to market with Blast Extreme that it had to be feature-rich and feature-complete. It couldn't be a partial solution. We weren't going to release it on one client, two clients, with half the features not working because that just causes confusion. So when we actually sat down, we've been working on Blast for a number of years. The first release of Blast um, was when we released HTML Access back in 2013, right? That was the foundation we started building upon. So when we actually did our HTML Access, you know, web client, that was sort of the first baby step release of getting Blast to market. And then when we introduced Linux in 2015, that first introduced support for our native clients. So that gave us some desktop native clients to get it up and running, to start letting you know users see it in a case where they didn't know the difference. They just launched a Horizon client, and they connected to that Linux desktop. They didn't know protocol-wise. They, just, they had a remote display protocol. just happened to be Blast under the hood. And then by the time we actually got it to market, uh, you know, early in the March release of 16, um, you know, it was feature complete, right? All of our clients supported it. All the features that we supported in the platform were supported. And it was transparent, so users had the choice of using Blast Extreme or PC over IP based upon their use case and need. And we even made some smart updates to how the broker worked. Previously, before we released Blast Extreme for Windows, if you actually told the uh, broker the preferred protocol was PC over IP, if you connected with a client that didn't support it, it wouldn't make a connection. So if I connected with an RDP-only client, it would refuse the connection. That's really not what a user wants, right? I mean, you want to be able to say, I have a preferred protocol, but if that's not available, negotiate down to what can be used. So when we made the change to enable Blast Extreme, we changed how the preferred protocol worked in Horizon such that you could say, I want the preferred protocol to be Blast, but if I connect with a client that doesn't support it, whether it's an older VMware software client or a Teradici Zero client, it'll automatically do the right thing and use PC over IP automatically. No additional setup, no complexity. So really the goal was to really, how do we build a new protocol that's going to be designed for mobility, designed for better multimedia, and make it simple for customers to adopt? And uh, he, like you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the, the, the key thing that really shocked me was the feature parity. Um, you would have been forgiven, like most vendors, to come out with something brand new and say, hey, here's a massive list of requirements. We're going to work on it, guys, but um, this is this is new. But, yeah, I mean, you guys came out and you said, hey, it's ready. It can do pretty much everything that PC over IP can do, and uh, you should give it a try. It was uh, it was very impressive um, uh, from, from from where I was sitting anyway that you, you managed to kind of uh, scurry away and work away in the background on this completely brand new protocol without telling anybody about it and then bang because I mean I remember hearing about Blast Extreme and I remember it was something to do with HTML and then yeah you meant, you just mentioned there it was the HTML5 client right and then you know I remember with the, with the Linux desktop as well there were some whispers about that but it wasn't completely clear to, to a lot of us that this was actually something that was going to come out for everything you know that way so I think you, you handled that approach very very well. No, thanks. We're really excited, especially since what we've done since then. You know, you've noticed every quarter, it goes back to that mention earlier, every quarter we've actually been improving our product and that protocol with it. If we look at how we, um, you know, we made bandwidth improvements, we've made, we added um, 
policy, smart policy in Q2. So you know we've we've all we're always going to be improving this and making constant changes every quarter to you know address customer concerns, figure out new use cases, and you know really provide a, a truly competitive, strong solution in the marketplace. Yeah, I like to echo what Andy said too as well. It's just that, you know, so many times you see vendors out there releasing a new feature and it's it's half-baked. You know, you can use for this use case and not for that one. So I, I applaud you guys for releasing something that was complete for all use cases instead of going kind of the half-baked way. Thanks. And I, I, part of the time I feel like I need a Ouija board or a PhD in protocol selection when looking at the marketplace. I mean, sometimes, <laughs> okay, so what am I going to do? Okay, so I've got this. I want something to work with some packet loss, but I'm a Mac user. Oh, I can use this. Oh, but I'm an iOS. I have to use this protocol. It's just confusing, right? Customers don't need that. Like the IT admins don't want to think about the complexities of protocol delivery. They just want somebody that's going to solve the problem, make it simple to deploy, and simple to use. So, you know, going along with that, you know, we talked up last extreme. We mentioned um, PC over IP. Um, so, kind of the is the strategy over time to kind of depreciate PC over IP and replace the blast extreme, or are you saying there's use cases for both, where PC over IP could be mainly for for LAN use and blast extreme could be used for everything else? So, I, I think it's important to realize, you know, we're a multi-protocol product, and we have been for almost forever. When we launched the first fusion of Virtual Desktop Manager, the precursor to Horizon, you know, it was using RDP. We brought PC over IP on and the View for time frame, and now we've had a Blast Extreme. So, you know, we support three protocols today. We support RDP, PC over IP, and Blast. And we have some customers who use a variety of some. Some of our largest customers used RDP for the longest time and finally transitioned to PC over IP. Um, so, you know, we're a multi-protocol product. We're happy to support our customers to do it. You know, there's a large investment of PC over IP zero clients in the market, and we expect those to continue to be used strongly in the market, and we're happy to support them. You know, that's 99% of those clients are used in Horizon. We know that. Um, and we're happy to support them completely. The one thing that we see is that PC over IP zero clients are great at delivering a great keyboard, great screen, great mouse, high performance. But what we've learned more over time is that the use cases that people are looking at for VDI and RDSH require much more access to local media, local devices to deliver that experience. A big thing is Skype for Business. If we look at where Skype for Business is going, we made an announcement back at uh, VMworld that we're working with Microsoft to deliver a Skype for Business solution that's optimized with Horizon. Um, you know, that requires a local media engine on the endpoint to be able to deliver that rich experience you expect from the virtual desktop. So as we see more use cases like that or people who want to use an optimized webcam or optimized file transfer, we find that you need to look at how our uh, optimized thin clients using the VMware Horizon clients for Windows and Linux really become more into play as you look at your more broad use case. I think one of the challenges has been in the past is that when people look at when – they, when they go buy the thin clients, you know, typically – and you guys know this more than I do in, in working with customers day in and day out – is that typically what I've found is when a customer goes to deploy BDI RDSH, they leverage their existing PCs initially, repurposing them potentially to be their endpoints. But then over time, they decide they want to go all in on thin clients because they want something that's easier to manage once they get through the life cycle of their PCs. The challenge I found is that when customers do that, they only think about their needs today versus their needs over the next three to five years. 
And what we're seeing now is that those needs have changed in the Horizon side, and customers want richer access to richer media. Unified communications are only available when using lockdown thin clients with more capabilities. So we see customers who use both, and we see and we see customers use both for many years to come. That's a fair answer. Okay, so yeah, I mean, you, you often forget it does ODP, but I mean, that's that's obviously where you started originally, and uh, yeah, no, it, it's good to have that. Um, it's good to have options as well as it opens up to you. So, um, yeah, well, makes perfect sense, I suppose. Um, before we, you know, we, we've spoken um, a bit about you know your, your some of the projects you've worked on and all that kind of stuff, but I mean, it, it's rare to, to get to peek into the into the mind of somebody who you know who works as product management uh, for for any great length of time. I mean, of all the projects that you've worked on in VMware, you see which was your favorite and why? I'm going to be bad, and I'm going to say I had two because it's been ten years now. It's hard to say one. Um, I'm going to go back to the beginning, and uh, bringing Fusion to market was incredibly fun. It was a favorite. I mean, it was like – it was taking a project that was some super smart engineers were on. I mean, some of the smartest guys you'll ever meet. It was only six. It was a small team of six working hard, but like it was like – it was definitely a nascent project that needed to figure out what is it going to take to take it from some great technology to getting it to customers' hands. And um, it was like a small startup, even though I was working at a 2,000-person company at the time. Um, it was basically in the end by a team of 10 or 12 of us who basically rolled up our sleeves and got it done. Um, I wrote all the box copy. I wrote all the web copy. Um, I helped find the, the distributor we went to to get it to market. Um, uh, and we figured out how to change the product in four months, pivot, make sure we come out with a really successful first product. And, uh, it was fun actually. Um, for example, it was fun going to, um, pitch Walt Mossberg on Fusion to actually get a – back at the time, you know, Walt Mossberg's still popular, but at the time, you know, when he was the guy at the journal, he was the personal technology guy. And going to D.C. to pitch him on Fusion uh, with some people and watching his initial response was more like, like, I know what you guys do. your VMware. It's this big enterprise crap. It's not going to be anything. And I said, well, hold on. Let's take a step back. And I said, let me show you the product. And then by the end of the hour, it was like, I get this. I like it. It was good to see that pivot from people's expectations of, oh, this is big, complex enterprise, to actually we take that same core technology and make it so anybody can use it. Um, and that was exciting. That was a lot, that was a fun, fun time to take that and really bring it broad. Um, my second favorite uh, uh, project at uh, VMware so far has actually been Blast Extreme, actually, to be honest with you. The way we approached building it and delivering it was – to be frank, we've been shipping parts of it. I sort of mentioned how we did HTML access than Linux. We kept shipping more and more parts as part of the product, allowing us to validate that parts kept working. Like we were able to validate the native clients worked a year before we shipped it for Windows because we were actually shipping it already for Linux. Um, we were able to test that the gateways worked because when we actually shipped the HTML access product, we had to ship the gateway as well. So we actually we've been shipping components. So by the time we made the you know by the time we finalized all the features that required to deliver this complete solution in 2016, we'd already done a whole bunch of it and had been shipping for years. So it was exciting to be able to find this way to get it to the point where we could do it in a way to release it and make it transparent to users, and just keep doing it every quarter. 
So I absolutely get the diffusion story. I mean, as a, as an owner of a Mac, I don't think I would have survived on a Mac more than five minutes without the ability to run Windows or a different operating system on the side of it. So you know uh, that that is that that is that was a super super product, and it it made it it made it, it, it for enterprise for enterprise IT workers. I think it made Mac more acceptable and more um, accessible to. Um, to uh, to the masses, so yeah, I can understand why that would be fun. I mean, it was it was a it was a big pivot, but it was a very interesting one. Um, and then with the with the blast extreme, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that all you must have had such a side little smile on your face as you were working away, going, "And this is this is going to be the future, and nobody knows it yet, <laughs> you know, even though they were using it." So it's a it's a it's a great story to hear. Well, it's funny, yeah. And I was actually giving demos of it to customers a year before we shipped it, and nobody knew. I was just doing our typical demos, and yeah. I was using it. It was always fun to be able to do that. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, okay, so yeah, that, 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 that's, a, that's an interesting story. So um, obviously, if we were to look at you know one of the major focuses for EUC last year for VMware, it was GPU. I don't think anybody could have denied that. Um, you know, GPU, GPU and desktop virtualization is going hand in hand. Nvidia are driving hard. Intel and AMD are now joining the race. You know, um, how has this evolved, how has this story evolved in your opinion in VMware? And you know, where do you see the use case for it today? It's, a, it's funny. I picked up graphics four years ago, and at the time. I, VMware made some mistakes in how we approached graphics early on in terms of how we released it. We sort of released things in the wrong order, causing our own customer confusion. But um, we learned a lot from that. Um, and by partnering closely with NVIDIA to deliver grid GPU in 2015, it really has made a huge difference in the use cases we can solve. I mean, I think traditionally, you know, we look at the use cases you could solve with VDI. Without a GPU, you're sort of limited to a certain level. You can get to about reasonable knowledge worker level. But at that point in time, anything above that, anybody that has strategic use cases such as manufacturing, architecture, oil and gas, um, you can't touch those. Those are hard problems to solve. And by bringing the GPU into play, you can solve some of the hardest problems a company needs to address. Um, We have some of the largest car companies in the world relying upon Horizon and GPU to design cars many of us have in our driveways. Um, it's exciting to see. It's exciting to see at the high end. And I think as we brought more of that into the high end, it's starting to trickle down now. Because if you look at five years ago, people try out VDI and it's like, oh, it doesn't deliver the user experience. It doesn't pass the, the YouTube sniff test or it doesn't pass this test that users try. Now, with the ability to leverage grid GPU and you know even the AMD multi-user GPU solutions where you can get more scale out of them, you can deliver a super rich end-user experience to VDI, to the masses. Um, I think you're going to see over the next you know, 12 to 24 months more adoption. If you look at things like Windows 10, Windows 10 uses the GPU more than any version of Windows before it. And you can do it without a GPU, but with a GPU, it's just a better experience. I'll be honest. For me, it's, I, I prefer all my virtual desktops I use have a GPU behind them because it can just deliver that rich user experience. In fact, we did a huge amount of work in Blast to take advantage of it. If you look at what we did by leveraging hardware de- hardware encode on the graphics card, we can deliver a super rich user experience with more scale because we're not having to use the CPU to encode the data. So traditionally without a GPU, if you're playing back YouTube, it was probably taking 40 to 60% of a CPU core to do the encode and the decode. With a GPU, it goes down to like 5%. 
So you can deliver a better experience to more users with video with a GPU. So I see more and more users as they look to think how they're going to adopt BDI, that the user experience matters more and more. And I don't know if you've hearing, but I'm seeing more and more use that YouTube is a business-critical app for people. Training is delivered by YouTube. How do you deliver that rich user experience? You need a GPU to do video, and and you know the partnerships we have with NVIDIA, Intel, and AMD are going to continue to mature and grow, and I think you're going to see even more adoption of graphics over time. Oh, yeah, I hear, I hear you. The, the one note that really rang true to me there that I hadn't considered before, but when I think about my own past in the last two years, um, it's, it's absolutely true, is that YouTube has become a business app. I mean, normally you'd get the marketing department or you'd get somebody who would have a moan or, or a sniff about the fact that they couldn't watch YouTube videos on their lunch. But particularly in the last 18 months, absolutely, between training videos and what people expect to be able to do in their desktops day to day, it has become far more of a business requirement as opposed to a nice to have yeah i really think so and i think it's it's a huge difference in the expectations yeah yeah i, I wouldn't say just youtube i would just say video in general is becoming a lot more um, bigger use case and it's pretty much an every use case that we're starting to come across and, and and to really deliver a rich video experience we can do it in software but the gpu just changes the game the gpu just brings brilliant video playback and with blast extreme with hardware encode it's even better it's just a great end-to-end experience. So kind of uh, changing, changing gears here, um, and this is something, you know, that we've probably mentioned before and talked about and kind of the aspect of how, you know, um, VMworld and, and VMware e- uh, EUC, you know, kind of goes and how that's kind of seen at, at those conferences. But, you know, this year and, you know, last year, both that Synergy and Summit for Citrix, you know, you guys got some more airtime than you normally do at, at, at VMworld. So what does that tell you about the market, but also to you, and this is something that, you know, Andy and myself, and I think we talked about this on some previous podcast before, do you think the VMware EUC stuff needs to be pulled back from VMworld and kind of combined with the AirWatch conference? So I, I think what it tells us is that we're doing a great job with our products. Um, if I think about the reason why we're getting the coverage, it's because we're getting great customer demand for the products. And, you know, it's an area where, you know, people feel like they need to respond. Um, so I feel like I'm doing my job in delivering the right products at this point. Um, so I, I think the difference, you know, VMware, I mean, we have a large ecosystem. We, we support a large ecosystem of how we deliver solutions. You know, EUC is a, a, a large component. It's an over-billion-dollar business for VMware. But VMware is a large company but has a, lar- a large number of other businesses as well. And in a lot of cases with our solutions that we have customers that work across them. So, you know, leveraging, you know, VMworld is our platform, um, allows us to reach all the customers who could potentially use us. Now, do we get a little bit less airtime because of that? Because we're in a much broader conference than Citrix is, where they have a, a sort of unique focus on EUC. Yes, it does. But I think, I, I from from I look at our results and those things. I don't think it's impacting us not having that event, not having that dedicated event at this point. I think we just need to fo- continue to focus on delivering the right solutions and, you know, supporting customers the best way we can to get value out of them. And I think that's what we're that's why we're seeing other people talk about us because. We're making an impact in the marketplace. But do you kind yeah. Of, but do you kind of see? Sorry, with, yeah, sorry. Do you kind of see what the need with you know kind of the workspace one solution? You're seeing the more integration with AirWatch that maybe combine those two in, into their conference. You know, still covering that at VMworld, but kind of 
you know, having more focus with those two together at that conference w- w- would be a good thing for VMware? Just, just an opinion question. I I think as a whole we're looking at how we bring the EUC message together, we, which includes you know Workspace One and AirWatch and Horizon, and really focus on the Workspace One you know solution across the board, whether it's Workspace One you know advanced or enterprise. And Workspace One enterprise includes Horizon as part of it. So I think you know we really are focused on the Workspace One direction, and uh, you know we are doing events, right? For example, on February fifteenth we have the EUC Insights events we're doing online. Um, it's going to be pretty exciting to, um, there's some pretty exciting stuff that's going to happen there. I definitely recommend people stay tuned and watch it. Um, I'll make sure to put a link up. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, I'm excited by some of the things that, uh, I'm, I've, I'm delivering there as well in one of my sessions. So I, I, I feel that, you know, we're getting our message out there. Um, I think that, you know, there's always ways we could be better about getting our message out there. Um, and the right venues. And I, I will trust our events team to come up with the right planning on that front. Uh, but, um, I think we just need to keep telling a good story that custom, it resonates with customers. I think that's where it really comes down to. I, I get that. I mean, you, you, as you mentioned, you guys do have a massive portfolio. You're not specifically an EUC company. You're also a data center company. You're also a cloud company. You're also a number of other things. So I get that. And, uh, you know, that being said, I think the first time we met was VMworld Barcelona, 2015, I believe. That was 2015, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And uh, that was the first time I'd seen Sanjay present, and I was blown away. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not particularly impressed by pre- presentations in this day and age. But he really kind of captured the audience and had people kind of alive and awake, even at ten ten a.m. and Barcelona time when people had a skin full of beer from the night before. Yeah. You know, so I, I think I think I think it's it's definitely improving. So um, you know, I, I, I see that, and um, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to see what happens next. Sanjay just brings such a great passion and energy to the stage. I mean, I'm I'm excited he's our COO in charge of our sales and marketing organization now, um, just because he'll just continue to bring that presence for the company. But uh, yeah, passionate. He's a passionate man, and uh, he really helped. He really helped. I think from from an outside world perspective, really helped drive awareness around DEC. His energy and passion. And just focus has really, really helped, I think, other than just product side. And that, talking about that serious ramp now we've done EUC, Sanjay's passion and drive that's come out in the public has really been a big part of it. I, I see that influence. I think anybody on Twitter who follows Sanjay will have seen it too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep, I, I second that as well. So if we can kind of you know, look into the, the crystal ball and see the future, um, can you share anything with us on the vision of – you know, where VMware and this market needs to go or is going? Sure. I, I, sure. I think we're more and more we're seeing how do we – how to really move to a cloud-centric vision for UC. Um, and that doesn't mean everything goes in the cloud, but leveraging the cloud to solve critical problems and for people who want to go all in on the cloud to give them a great cloud solution. You know, we have – we you know, we introduced, you know, Horizon Air hybrid mode last year, the ability to have a cloud-managed local delivery of VDI. And that was phase one. But if you think about it, one of the challenges of actually deploying products like these and uh, doing this uh, is has been like, I don't want to have to maintain the infrastructure, update the infrastructure. With Horizon Air hybrid mode, you sort of see the first step in how we can deliver a on-prem solution that gives you that fast, late, low-latency, high-performance solution, but with you getting out the infrastructure management game. Being able to have the updates come down from the cloud and dynamically update, being able to be delivered. And over time, how can we add more services to make it seamless to move across things? So leveraging how we look at the cloud and how we can use the cloud to deliver, whether it's a great on-prem experience, 
but with easier management, or going full cloud and delivering a rich cloud solution that allows you to deliver those desktops anywhere in the world or apps anywhere in the world, you know, regardless of how you want to do it. So I think that, you know, the power of the cloud, moving more intelligence to the cloud, getting you out of the mundane tasks of delivery. This is, in some cases, been hard to do in the past to figure out all the mundane parts of delivery. If we can simplify that so you can focus on what you really care about, how do I get that desktop to the user or the app to the user in the simplest way, we will have done our job. And, you know, kind of speaking of the the Horizon hybrid air um, solution, you know, we mentioned earlier about, you know, making sure things are right before you release them and not half-baked. I must say that um, myself and um, Shane Klein, we did a session at Bryform, and we had one of the solutions we talked about was, was the Horizon Hybrid Air piece, and your guys' consoles and workflow are, are, are pretty well done. So, you know, seeing that from an early-on product, um, it was very good to see how you guys did the, the workflow and the consoles and the management of that. Thanks. That was a lot of work to get there. And, you know, that's, and by the way, if you look at that console, if you look at our Horizon Air cloud-based service as well as hybrid mode, they have a very shared, they have a very shared flow today. Some slight differences based upon infrastructure. But... Um, there's more we can do there. There's a lot more we can do there. Now, when we, hybrid mode is a good example of how we released something where it didn't compete directly with the on-prem product. It didn't compete with Horizon 7 com- directly. It doesn't have all the features that Horizon 7 does today. But over time, we're going to adjust it to really bring into play the, custom, the features that customers truly care about, but simplify, keep that simplified management and workflow going to really get the value out of it. Yeah, no, I, I, I see that and I get that. Um, Okay, uh, this this has been a fascinating conversation so far. We 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 love to to close down the, our podcast with this question, with the same question for everybody. Um, on a personal note, away from your job and you know, kind of EUC and, and VMware, like what market and technology are you keenly watching at the moment, and what excites you about it? Well, some of it's personal need. Um, I've been looking a lot at new home automation tools, um, looking at how leveraging like technologies like better um, wireless nest like access points that are actually mesh based so I can provide wireless across broader spaces. Uh, More cloud-based services like Sonos for all house music delivery. So how do I make the home better with technology? Uh, You know, really paying attention to the voice assistant stuff, looking at how, you know, Alexa with from Amazon and Google coming into that market, how Siri is going to get better. So looking at how I can use technology to make my family's life and my home life easier is uh, where I'm really paying attention right now. Um, it's much more personal about me and my life than it is about work or anything around that. Well, that, and that's great, you know, because it's it's great to it's great to hear from the person behind the technology too. Uh, and I completely agree with you in regards to the um, the home automation piece. I know Jarian is just as vocal; he's dying to get in <laughs> to inter- interrupt me right now. But um, you know, recently I've I've been doing a lot more with that. I, I you know I've, I'm planning an extension to the house a little later in the year, and I'm looking at what I want to do with that. And um, one product that I was I've been watching for the longest amount of time was Jibo. Uh, you know that that home that home robot concept, um, which has the, the project has been delayed and delayed and delayed. I'm really hoping they kind of deliver on what they they set out to do originally, but um, you yeah, know it is it, it's a very exciting and interesting um, play. Uh, I've I, Dave Brett actually for, you know, he's um, he's very prolific in the, in the Citrix and VMware. Um, uh, 
uh, kind of uh, Twitter sphere, but he he did some home automation projects more around his lab and kind of Citrix Octoblue and how to turn stuff on and turn stuff off at certain times. And I I love all that stuff, you know. I mean, tell the cloud to do something and it does it. You know, <laughs> it's it's yeah. super. I think the interesting thing we have to think about and worry about, though, is if you look at that big uh, denial of service attack done on DNS last year by leveraging a whole bunch of cheap and expensive cameras, we're going to have to be smart about how we pick which of things to bring into our homes, right? These They have to be well-proven in some ways, technologies, because you don't want to be – you don't want all the devices in your home providing the denial of service attack to take down a service because they're unlocked down. So it's something we have to keep keep top of mind as we look at this stuff. Yeah, so secure, security and, and that type of stuff is, is a big thing, you know, to make sure, especially with that denial of service attack. And, you know, Andy mentioned Jibo, and I've been keeping an eye on products like that too as well, um, especially with um, something, you know, with a personal issue for a family member to kind of to kind of help them and, you know, as they're not have always somewhere there with them, you know, to make sure that they have interaction and, and that kind of stuff too as well. So things like Jibo is definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, agreed entirely. I mean, one um, what, on the on the security point, uh, there there is a fascinating uh, Twitter account. Uh, excuse my language, but it's called the Internet of Shit, and he, <laughs> he highlights um, he highlights stuff like, or he or she highlights this kind of stuff all the time. Like, do you really, really want your fridge to be internet connected? I mean, do you? Uh, are, are certain products should they <laughs> morally or, or legally be excluded from this kind of thing just out of pure stupidity? There's there's the there's a the, there's always the case that just because you can doesn't mean you should. Does that? Yeah, I, uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't want. I'm looking forward to somebody advertising the first internet connected toilet. Then you know we've hit the bottom. I'm 90 percent sure the Japanese are probably already there. Yeah, I, I think there is one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's oh there. It won't flush. It won't flush. Oh, my God. Try <laughs> <Sorry>, we started. <laughs> well, just think about, though, okay. Think, uh, think about how heavy that would be for, you know, people with young kids at home to where they may not tell you that something happened and that toilet can. So yeah, you, you laugh about it, but it come very handy. It could, yeah. No, I suppose. Okay, maybe maybe I'll take the Internet of Toilets back and we'll we'll move back to fridges for a second. <laughs> okay, if it has an automatic way to plunge it and fix it, then I'll look at it. <laughs> Toilet automation. Super. Um, the, only, uh, the, the only other thing that I've really realized value in lately around home automation is I, I have a Synology NAS sitting in my house for the better part of 18 months, um, kind of just doing my home lab stuff. And the, every time I go to use it, I find another use case. Like it has a, it has its own little Internet of Things kind of client on it. It has its own uh, Plex station. You know, all of these devices are in the house for playing movies and playing. And you know, uh, yeah, uh, connecting all of these things to the house in the next ten years is going to be big, big money, big, big money. It's great. I love the fact that being able to find inexpensive devices to do this. I, uh, I've been playing with some of the new. Um, Nooks that just came out, the low-end ones, the um, what's it called, the Apollo Lake one that just came out last week or two weeks ago, yeah. which is the new four-core Celeron one. You could pick it up with a Windows license for 215 bucks. A four-core, two-gig, 32-gig storage with Windows 10 Home for 215 bucks. It can be a little a little home server for anything, right? You can hook up a big storage array to it, a big sto- USB storage to it, and you can do anything with it. And it's 215 bucks. It's a great VDI client that supports 4K, and it's a great home server. It could be a Plex server. It's amazing how some of this technology is coming down in price to drive things. 
Yeah, it is. It really, really is. Um, but I mean, we could we could talk about this all day. <laughs> um, so yeah. Anyway, um, just to, uh, to to close things out, um, I just wanted to thank our sponsors, FS Logics and uh, Liquidware Labs, for for sponsoring the podcast. You guys are awesome. Uh, Pat, it's been an absolute pleasure for uh, talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on and taking time out of your busy schedule. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I really enjoyed the conversation, and definitely everybody come to EC Insights on February fifteenth to hear what's going on. I think you'll be excited to hear what we're saying. Oh, definitely. I'll have a I'll have a link up on the on the podcast when this is published, and uh, I've already registered. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Pat, for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, enjoyed the conversation today. Um, to my, for myself and Andrew Morgan, thank you for listening to the. Frontline Chatter podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.